0: Is the movement behind climate action based on fake science? How does the climate movement pursued by the UN, the World Economic Forum and other major bodies dovetail into the efforts to stop COVID-19 and future pandemics? Do the solutions put forward by solving climate change actually serve interests while not addressing climate change? Does the WEF represent a deliberate run against democracy and its role to fairly solve the great concerns of our age? This week on the Global Research News Hour, a week after the conclusion of Davos 24, we are focused on the battle against climate change and the mechanism of the World Economic Forum that puts the world's wealthiest figures in the driving seat. For the majority of our hour, we speak to geopolitical analyst Peter Koenig and to environmental activist and organic farmer Julian Rose about their skepticism toward the human role in generating climate change and about how climate action, as prescribed by the World Economic Forum, will not so much save the planet as feed the rich. Toward the end of our show, another global research contributor who supports the scientific consensus on climate change expresses her concerns about elevating the role of corporate interests, including big oil, ahead of respecting and defending the democratic states around the world. On this week's broadcast, WEF Global Solutions, but for whom? Critiquing WEF-prescribed climate activism. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of January 26, 2024. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95 point nine fm in winnipeg i'm your host michael welch the show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers researchers and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media our shows are features on partner radio stations across canada and the united states and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca We acknowledge that this program was produced on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji, Dine, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The European settlers who gained the assets of this land did so at the expense of the indigenous people who lived here first and secured it with fraudulent promises and treaties not agreed to colonialism and genocide resulted. The descendants who still enjoy those assets should acknowledge these crimes and, in the spirit of respect, pay reparations for what was done in the past and not continue it into the future. Now it's time for News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Maybe President Millet's and Victor Velionde's words are part of the final straw breaking the WEF's neck. The WEF circus has been going on for too long, 54 years. The WEF's naval-glancing organizers and participants are distancing themselves ever more from reality while they have one objective and one objective only, massively reducing world population so that Mother Earth's remaining natural resources will serve a small elite, quote-unquote, forever instead of being swallowed by, quote, useless eaters, unquote, who can rapidly be replaced by robots, transhumans, chipped human survivors, and artificial intelligence, or AI. Once there is only a fraction of the 8 billion world inhabitants left, and yes, that is the goal already spelled out by the Club of Rome's uh, Rockefeller invention, 1972 report, Limit to Growth, and then stated in Henry Kissinger's 1974 report on National Security Study Memorandum, NSSM-200. Kissinger was then President Nixon's Secretary of State. That comes from the article, The WEF Davos 2024 Circus, Their One Objective is to Massively Reduce World Population by Peter Koenig, posted January 22nd. In an appearance at the Globalist World Economic Forum in Davos, the Director General of the World Health Organization urged that global cooperation will be needed during the next pandemic and that national interests hinder compliance. In a session titled Disease X, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus stated that in order to be better prepared and to understand disease X, the WHO's pandemic agreement needs to be adopted globally. This is about a common enemy, Tedros continued, adding, quote, without a shared response, we will face the same problem as COVID, unquote. He explained that the decline for the legislation is May of this year and member states are negotiating between countries to implement it. This is a common global interest, and very narrow national interests should not come in the way, he continued, adding, quote, Of course national interests are natural, but they could be difficult and affect the negotiations. That comes from the article, Hypothetical Disease X, The WHO Pandemic Treaty is a Fraud, Demands Compliance for Next Pandemic, by Steve Watson and Professor Michelle Chosodovsky, posted January 24th, originally published on Global Research and Modernity. Every manufactured global crisis, including the ongoing corona psychosis and climate change mania, has served to funnel wealth into the hands of the Transnational Capitalist Class, or TCC. The detour around Africa will add 7 to 20 days in transit, involving an additional 3,000 to 3,500 nautical miles, or 6,000 kilometers. Freight rates for a standard container transported from China to northern Europe has consequently risen from $1,500 in November to more than 4000 at the time of writing. Freight rates from India stands at a median $3,000. The cumulative costs for national trade may be much higher as merchant vessels are now accompanied by an array of naval escorts. That comes from the article, The fate of global maritime trade does not hinge upon the narrow Red Sea strait by Dr. Matthew Mavick, posted January 22nd. What are the implications if the Israeli government succeeds in persuading the judges that its ruthless, high-tech obliteration of people and their life support systems in the Gaza prison camp is something other than genocide? The result of such a ruling would have the effect of normalizing what is going on in Gaza, The industrial-scale killing happening there is a classic example of several synergistic forms of genocide being imposed simultaneously. This combination of techniques to achieve the indiscriminate mass murder of a mostly unarmed civilian population, almost half of whom are children, surely qualifies as the outer extremes of genocidal assault. Any ruling that stops short of ordering a stop to the military machinery of genocide would further discredit the already tenuous credibility of the International Court of Justice. That comes from the article, Israel, the World Court, and the Conscience of Humanity are all on trial at The Hague. By Professor Anthony Che Hall, posted January 22nd, originally published on the author's substack, looking out at the world from Canada. Of particular concern are the geopolitical topics of war, future pandemics, and climate change. The WEF acts on the belief that whereas these global issues require global solutions, only a centralized private-public entity with, quote, corporate agility, unquote, is capable of, of responding in effective and timely ways. From this belief, it tackles global problems through the aggressive, ongoing Young Global Leaders program attended by many sovereign heads of state. Highly concerning is a published list of 1,400 all-country graduates of the WEF Young Global Leaders program from 1993 to 2022. In thus influencing the decisions of elected leaders, the WEF interferes with the democratic processes within nation-states. That comes from the article, The World Economic Forum, How It Usurps Treaty-Based Intergovernmental Institutions, by Elizabeth Woodworth, posted January 22nd. A monster, I contend. That is at least 50% of our own making, the outward expression of a fear of confronting inner demons and an unwillingness to stand courageously in defense of fundamental moral values which constitute the implacable foundation stones of a sane society. The other 50% of that which stands behind the existence of this monster comes from something extraterrestrial hatched by outside forces beyond our immediate control, and outside the capacity of the majority of mankind to recognize or identify, and therefore fail to recognize as a real threat to their futures. But two events of unparalleled significance have started to change this, COVID and Gaza. It comes from the article, Brutal reality, psychopaths form majority of today's World Leaders by Julian Rose, posted January 22nd. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click donate on the menu bar.
1: appreciate the World Economic Forum providing me the opportunity to be on this stage and say
0: fuck you Klaus Schwab and fuck your New World Order. We the people were born
2: free, we will stay free and you and all of your globalist friends including everyone in this room can go fuck yourself.
0: That was actually a fake presentation by Damon Imani at the World Economic Forum produced by Artificial Intelligence. This display, which went viral on the Internet, really spells out the awareness of the general public of these proceedings and encapsulates the popular resistance to the elite-level operatives looking to make decisions applying to the public whether they like it or not. We are going through a period of transformation at the moment. We have the Great Reset. We have the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. We have a new pandemic treaty slated to come in May of this year. We have the fourth industrial revolution and AI. So it appears our lives are about to change radically, in our interests, supposedly. The World Economic Forum convened their annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland last week. A number of talks were held behind closed doors. Almost 3,000 leaders across government, business, and civil society from 125 countries, including 350 heads of state, gathered for the talks, presenting various diverse viewpoints on key issues. Topics for discussion included increasing resilience and security, reviving economic growth Balancing innovation and guardrails for technology, investing in jobs, skills, and health, and protecting the climate and nature. Many citizens have expressed concerns about what these elites discuss in private can impact the day-to-day lives of less well-off people. Touching on the WEF subject this week, we are focusing on climate change. Far from being a remote issue, it is central to a lot of plans at the elite financial level as well as the uh, less elite people. I brought a couple of guests in for a discussion on the 23rd of January. They do embrace skepticism not only of the plans for using new mechanisms to advance their own position under the camouflage of addressing global warming, but it the concept that the world is undergoing climate change due to carbon dioxide. So we present the interview for you right now. Okay, so this week we are going to be focused on climate change and the endeavors of the elite class. The World Economic Forum uh, concluded their annual meeting last week to determine what can and should be done about this and other different topics. And and we're delighted to have a, a couple of guests with us to discuss what the UN, the WEF and, and other major players have in mind. So Peter Koenig is uh, well known to listeners. He's a geopolitical analyst and a former senior economist at the World Bank and is the author of Implosion, an economic, an economic thriller about war, environmental destruction and corporate greed. Peter's also a research associate for the, of the Center for Research on Globalization. And Julian Rose, is one of the pioneers of UK organic farming, commencing the conversion of his farm in 1975. Uh, He joined the Soil Association Board in 1984 and campaigned vigorously for the widespread introduction of organic farming methods at a time when the system was not known. And he's an environmental activist and a defender of peasant and farm family farm traditions throughout the world. He's also president of the International Coalition to Protect the Polish Countryside and author of Overcoming the Robotic Mind. So uh, Peter Koenig, uh, Julian Rose, welcome to the Global Research News Hour. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: So as I understand it, you both have extraordinary backgrounds, but you also have taken the extraordinary view that climate change or climate alarmism has no foundation in science. It's an elaborate strategy of the elites going back maybe 50 years or more talking about bulking up their project in media and the state and, and creating a consensus among climate scientists that carbon is a big enemy. Is that accurate? Or
3: I, Pretty much, yeah. Okay. I agree. Yeah.
0: Well, well, the the warnings about climate change started at, at least as far back as 1985, so this is not news. But what was what what exactly was your watershed moment when you saw the light? What was there an author or a scientist or that, that brought you around, or, or were you onto them from the beginning?
3: Well, should we go? Should we each go have a go at this separately yeah. because it's well, quite a big cool. subject. Uh, I Maybe we'll crack off then, and then Peter can join in. Basically, I had a colleague in the UK, a very interesting situation, whose uncle was director of the Bank of England in the 1980s. And my colleague uh, was an aspiring green, a young man in his early 20s. And so was, to a degree, the director of the Bank of England at that time, very interested in green issues. And what happened was my colleague was invited by a friend of his uncle's, a friend of the director of the Bank of England, to meet Mr. Pecci, who was the director of Fiat Motor Company in Italy, to discuss the possibility of him being given a job with some green issues attached to it. So he went there. And in the course of being befriended by Mr. Pecci, Mr. Pecci confided in him that he and other industrialists were working on a plan to create something called global warming, which has already been discussed previously, actually, in 1972 at the Club of Rome and in the Bilderberger Group before that. Nevertheless, it had obviously gained momentum because he said, plans are well advanced and we're going to scare the public into believing that there's a catastrophic event up ahead based on excessive CO2 admission. Now, I just thought this was the most fantastic thing, first-hand story. Uh, He's a very honorable and sensible individual, the one I'm talking about. He he didn't make it up. The second element which turned me on to the level of the scam was really doing the maths, you might say. Mm. Uh, I started to realize that what was called a solution Uh, the green solution involved huge levels of embedded energy being put into the construction of wind turbines, for example, which we have to use rare metals, concrete, aluminium, lithium. All of this requires very large amounts of fossil fuel. But for some reason, they wasn't mentioning this. It was as though they were there. And they were going to solve the problem. No one talked about how much fossil fuel was involved in building them or in mining the materials necessary for them or in going all around the world in search of rare minerals, et cetera, et cetera. So I started getting very suspicious about this. Now, that was further. uh, This went further when I started looking into the atmospheric uh, factor which the IPCC, the International Panel for Climate Change, was claiming was the big issue. And there's too much CO2 in the upper atmosphere. But good science, I think it's reasonably good science probably, informed that there's 0.04% of CO2 in the upper atmosphere. And there's a lot of other things which come well ahead of that, particularly water vapour. Uh, nitrous oxides, for example, carbon monoxide, methane, <laughs> particular, it's all sorts of things get up there. But CO2 forms a very tiny percentage of that. And then I heard about a scientist who said CO2 is heavier than air and cannot reach the upper atmosphere in any substantial amount. That pretty much sealed it for me. Mm.
0: Okay, uh, Peter, just <laughs> like to talk comment briefly about uh, your situation or
2: exactly. Well, first of all, I totally agree with uh, uh, with Julian. I, absolutely. I didn't know the, the Bank of England story, but I mean that seals it even more for me. Mm. But uh, what I what I did know, and so it wasn't really an awakening, or if you want to call it, but, uh, I was already uh, awoken if this thing uh, blasted onto onto the world. But wh- how how it really started? Let me go back to the uh, first environmental conference in in June 1992 in in Rio, which is also called the the Earth Summit. You know, apparently that conference was uh, was held on in 1992, uh, basically, uh, as celebrating the 20th anniversary of the first environmental conference that was held in 72 in, in Sweden. Uh, and in 72 in Sweden, that conference was based, and that I know as a fact, was based on the Club of Rome's uh, a report on uh, uh, limits to growth. And limits to growth is, of course, the blueprint still used today by the united nations and especially by the world economic forum to reduce the world population that's goal number one and with climate change or whatever you call it cli- uh, global warming climate change you can do everything uh, you want you know you can create hunger you can create uh, and then you have in addition to that in order to prove the world today that we are actually living in a changing climate. First of all, climate never changes that quickly, normally, you know, as as it seems to be today. So we are really talking about geoengineering. And geoengineering is a science that has been developed at least since the 1940s. So it is highly sophisticated Mm -hmm. to a point where we could have a a special session on it, uh, if you want one day. But I'm going even further back. The Club of Rome uh, is an idea by Rockefeller, and that has uh, been come to the surface already in the 1950s. It, the Club of Rome was eventually created, officially created in in 1971, if I remember correctly. But it was uh, there were many conferences preceding it in in Rome. That's why it's called like uh, the Club of Rome. But the the initiator is one of the key eugenists of the world. That's Rockefeller, you know, Mm -hmm. together with the family gates and so on. They're actually related as you go far back, uh, far enough back. So the whole idea of, uh, of the Club of Rome is still embedded in whatever you see today. And so when eventually and at that time I was, uh, was at the World Bank, when this thing at the end of the cent- last century really broke out in, into uh, global warming first, uh, the whole World Bank uh, environment department literally converted into a global warming department. You know, there's no, there was nothing environment anymore about it. And I was an insider, so I can tell you this, this was actually happening. And at one point we we had, I don't know exactly the year, but it was a, uh, in 2000, 2001 or 1999, I don't remember exactly. There was a team of Al Gore's, not Al Gore, but the team of Al Gore's coming to the World Bank to talk about global warming and, and, so, and, and, and how the climate is influenced by CO2, by human activities and, and, and so on, you know so uh of course uh, i went to that to to that conference too and uh, the room was full and overflowing with with people and at at the end when there were comments and questions you know i simply said uh as far as i know 95 or more than 95% of all the influence on weather and climate comes from the sun mm-hmm. and uh, and and solar activities have throughout the 4 billion years of history of the world, have made all the differences that we have lived, that the Mother Earth has lived through. So I don't know why now suddenly the human the human being that lives for 80 years max at that time uh, has such an enormous influence on, uh, on, on weather. And, how, and so I asked, how about the solar influence? Absolute silence. Absolute silence. Everybody looked at me. Well, um, I and and with and within with within maybe 15 or 20 seconds, they just said they ignored the questions. Next question. You know, that said it all. And afterwards, the director came to see me in my office and said, Peter, this wasn't the right question at the right moment. I said, sorry, but this is a, isn't this an open meeting where people can ask questions. He said, Yes, but this was not the right question. And yeah. he said, he proceeded to say, I actually agree with you, but you should be careful to ask these questions in this type of meetings. Yeah. So, you know, that sealed it even further. Hmm. And then when we went on, and, and, and of course, as I already indicated, the World Economic Forum, we have, we have the, the, uh, the, great, the, the Great Reset, written by, so Klaus Schwab yeah. hasn't written it, but he says he has, the Great Reset. And then you have an agreement between the United Nations, and actually an illegal agreement, which very few people know about, of 2019, between the UN and, uh, and uh, the World Economic Forum, which is illegal because the, world, the, the United Nations can make agreements with other United Nations agencies and with countries, uh, but not with NGOs and the the uh, world economic forum is, is registered in geneva or actually in the suburb of geneva as simply a uh, an ngo so
0: okay
2: yeah we well, we yeah we are getting to the, the world economic forum now and uh no no but i mean uh, this is part of it you know you okay you have to connect the dots there okay. oh, this is all part of it united nations agenda 2030 goes in the same direction uh, and and all of these mm-hmm different uh, points that we are that we are talking about you know the climate uh, energy shortages uh, uh, virus x that doesn't exist but they've already started making vaccines for it and and all this stuff goes into the reg- and and, and the, the the pandemic treaty of who the international health regulations which have been modified to the point that that the health tyranny it's actually already called one Health World, that's what the World Health Organization calls it. Uh, all of that goes into the same direction. And the huge direction, the number one, number two, number three, yeah. uh, objective of well, WHO and well, of the I, World I, Economic yeah, Forum get... reducing the world population. And okay. that's why I'm leading that by bringing all these agencies in.
0: You're listening to the Global Research News Hour broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Could you talk about some of the the measures being taken to solve climate the the, the climate change problem that that seem like red flags to you? I mean suggesting that this method is supposed to be about reducing CO2 and instead is is serving other interests possibly elite interest?
3: Well, yes, I can, of course. I think that what they call a success will really mean um, reducing the majority of mankind to absolute servitude, um, to the protagonists of the Great Reset, the Agenda 2030, Fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh, Now, this is really for the following reason that Uh, There's a hidden plan for the elite, if you like to call them that, to retain fossil fuel, to manage their lives and their industry, while we, the people, are forced into uh, taking green, unsustainable energy policy that will cripple the infrastructure of nation states and allow for a totalitarian regime to be implemented. Now, that. Strikes me as being the undertext of what's actually going on, because they would never, in their own particular way of viewing their bombastic way of life, uh, they would never agree to follow the same example as they're setting for everybody else. They are going to rely entirely on fossil fuels, while we are starved out which is already happening. It's well in progress at the moment. I mean, Europe's in a state of chaos because it doesn't really have steady access anymore to the, to the fossil fuels of gas, oil, etc. And what's more, uh, the, at the, the fake green way of viewing things is that you should cut down trees in order to bury them and create carbon capture. Now, you can't get more insane than that idea. Trees absorb CO2. Now, if that's the big problem and everybody claims it's the big problem, then you eat as many trees as you can. But now they're saying you must chop them down so that they can capture the excess carbon. You see the absolute illogicality of thinking. And I'm familiar with this from the perspective, a slightly different perspective, which is when psychopathic individuals take a controlling influence in society, they call on, the dark side, where we tend to call on the light for our inspiration and for our connection with divine, they do exactly the opposite. They call on the dark side. And what the dark side does, and it's been doing it for thousands of years, is to reverse truth into the opposite.
1: Mm.
3: There are even specific uh, spirit type creatures called archons, uh, devils in our language, that us known for centuries and centuries to work this way. So once people start practicing their demonic uh, activities, which they do, all the top politicians, in fact, I think in England, are very involved in Masonic and similar uh, dark side work. They connect up with these dark influences and they then reverse truth. So what they're really doing is reversing everything. Now, this last example of carbon capture fulfills that, I think. We don't think they do. We simply think they're crazy they're, they're thugs, they're mad, the whatever nasty word we can think of. them. It never occurs to us that they're actually using a special technique. Which involves working with the dark side, and that is why you also get the same people involved in pedophilia, in child molesting, child sacrifice. They're all involved in the same game. So when you get to a place like Davos, Peter explained very nicely in an article he wrote recently, it turns into a bordello because they have to have prostitutes available to them. You know, that's the sort of people they are. And we can't if we can't see it by now, we're very, very thick skinned. And that's a big problem.
1: Wow. Uh, Uh, Yeah, yeah, Peter, anything uh, to add to that?
2: I, (laughs) I, I totally again, I totally agree with Julian that this is exactly what's happening. Let, let me just add uh, one one more expression to this i call it the cult because the, the 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 cult theory what you what you very well described you know they're working with evil and and but the cult theory also and that's a cult and the cult theory is is actually uh, taught in in many in or in different uh uh, what do you call it? These fraternities of uh, high-level universities, you know, the 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 uh, the, uh, the Skull and Bones, for example, yes. of, of Yale University, or maybe others too. They teach yes. you how to to operate. And one of the, these cult theories is that they have to tell you, they have to tell the people in advance what they are up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know so otherwise their cult doesn't come through that their, their 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 activity what they want their goal cannot be uh, uh, actualized actually with their with with their work if they don't tell us first what they are doing now the the last example that I have seen of that maybe you had seen also the little video clip where Klaus Schwab during his last meeting is sitting with an IT guy and talking with him, like uh, in the future, you know, we are what he said, we would sit here in, in 10 years from now, and we would all be, he actually, he didn't say we, he said you and all the people in the room would be chipped, so that, uh, you know, we could read each other's thoughts. He actually was predicting what they are planning to do, yes. uh, in, in a way. And, and, yeah. and this is what I think we have to really be aware of, and one more thing, maybe in that direction, otherwise, you know, you, you yeah. covered it excellently, Julian. One more thing is, I think, what they also want to do with this. And they tell us, they make us angry. They make us really angry. And being angry makes us vibrate on the same low level as they do. And mm-hmm. as long as we vibrate on their level, we cannot go up to the light. And that's mm-hmm. what we have to do in order mm-hmm. to leave them behind we have to work on the light. It's difficult. I know it personally. I get angry yes. and I should so, overcome this. Were, so, were you, but,
0: were you paying attention to the, the World Health uh, Forum, uh, the Davos 24 meeting the last week? I mean, what was what was exactly discussed at the meeting? I mean, I know it's all between behind closed doors, but in terms of what was exposed, what what exactly was discussed at the meeting that maybe has you particularly concerned?
2: Well, one, one of the, the the key elements was already mentioned at the beginning, and and uh, this was also on the agenda, uh, was climate change. Climate change remains a key element of uh, the World Economic Forum and of the Agenda 2030. What that means, you know, under climate change, you can literally put everything under climate change. Fossil fuels, uh, uh, global warming or global cooling whatever you want to call it that's why they have the world bank later on also changed from global warming to just simply climate change uh, because it includes both uh, and can be uh, manufactured by uh, by geoengineering in, in either way we see that now very very often in the us and in europe the extremes they are not just coincidences so uh, all of this is, was, a, was a key topic. And of course, what is talked about in the open meetings, in the plenaries, as they call it, has nothing to do with what they talk about behind closed doors. They, will, they, they want to make the public aware. It's like a propaganda. What you see on TV is like a propaganda for the people to remain alert. Yes, we have a global warming or a global climate change problem. You know we have to attack that. It's uh, but what they really want to do with that is talked about behind closed doors. So yes, I would say topic number one, which was talked about, is uh, the climate change and what's behind it all. And I keep saying that. I think I've also written it in already in, in various articles. I think I wrote three about the World Economic Forum lately, and uh, and, and 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 in each one it is. Clear. It has become clearer to me that the key key priorities of uh, of of, of uh, the the WEF is uh, massive population reduction. But let me go a step further. The WEF is actually the WEF and WHO and uh, and the United United Nations. They are just executing agencies. I call them executing agencies for the big big. Um, uh, corporate elite behind it. There are corporations and there are people behind it, as you very well said. You know they are involved. The same people are involved in child molesting, in child trafficking, in organ trafficking. You know in all of those evil things that we that we who have some ethics left uh, would would call evil. Uh, and 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 so these topics they are of course not talked openly. They are talked behind closed doors in small groups. Selected groups, and that will not come out. You know these groups; they're closed. There's nobody allowed that, uh, that 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 has no access. Uh, that has not been specially invited by by the WEF. Okay. So yeah. keep, keep in mind that the WEF and WHO and the UN system are merely merely executing agencies of uh, of the big big capital. And what and the pharma and the, and and the military industrial complex, uh, the IT especially IT, and uh, and and the media. The media is also part of it.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I I think that uh, that that's you know basically talking about how the, all of those agencies are I guess uh, interconnected in in, in this uh, tapestry. Julian Rose, uh, I I think that. You know, the concern that I have is that uh, you know the, the role of scientists. I mean, I know a lot of scientists. I mean, I'm my, my radio station is located on a university campus. I, I know a few working scientists, and I definitely know climate activists. But from my point of view, they're not insincere. They, they're not greedy uh, for philanthropic donations. So, so how are the billionaires able to? skew the research of of these good working scientists. I mean, is, they, they just refuse to support people who are saying the uh, you know through the, the the publications or or something like that or, or or alter the the kind of research being published. I mean right. from your perspective?
3: Right. well, I think I think one has to start from the from the what the public have been sold story. I go back to the international Panel on Climate Change having lined up around about 2000 scientists to come up with the same story. Now you have to remember, this is all based on computer programming. There's no empirical science. There's no science based on actual testing of the reality. It's entirely computer program based. So it's not difficult if you're, if some government or some large body like the uh, United Nations forms a, a committee and says to them, look, we've got a target and we we know we've got to achieve this. We've already set the target and it's very urgent now that people who are seen to be good scientists agree with it and get this information out and make the public realise that we've got to follow through this green agenda. So all they have to do really is to say to them, we'll pay you a decent stipend and we'll give you a certain framework within which to do your science. If you go outside that framework, you won't get the stipend. (laughs) And, you know, I I think virtually all scientists, apart from those rare ones who have stood up already and said it's all a a boondoggle, the whole thing, they will go along with this. What they worry about mostly is losing their jobs. Exactly. Anyone who's got that far in their profession makes that the 100 percent top goal. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm finally a famous scientist, you know? So I'll do whatever I'm required to do. And that's what they do. So that's the setting, you see, for this type of phony science. And it's very easy for the public to be fooled by it because it's similar to a doctor. Now, when you go into a clinic and you see a man in a white coat with a stethoscope, it's already been shown psychologically. And most people freeze. Absolutely freeze. Whatever he tells you, oh, yes, all right. I believe you. Of course. Can we fix it? This is exactly the same. You get some scientists with a whole lot of PhD, something, something, something after their names, which no one understands, saying it. People can't believe that 2,000 of them could get it wrong. Forget it. You see how it works? It's all about putting over something as effectively as you can and the mass media and the people that control the mass media and and these sort of genius dark forces that work behind the whole thing are incredibly clever.
0: Mm, okay, they're far You're,
3: cleverer than us. Peter, do right.
0: you, you, yeah? I mean, basically, it's like kind of like the COVID situation where you know if you speak outside of uh, you know of, of the, the the consensus, that you'll lose your job. I mean, that's what they said to the to to, to uh, doctors and. In, in, uh, in Canada, but uh, you you essentially agree with what uh, Julian just said.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he, he said that I couldn't have uh, said it better, actually, uh, in no ways. And this is exactly the way it happened also with COVID, as you already mentioned. And uh, I know a few doctors actually in uh, in Switzerland who were threatened or have lost their license. and uh-huh. uh, And there are many, many doctors who have stood up from the very beginning they uh, they they lost their their licenses. Uh, yeah. Meryl ma- uh, Nass, I think she was one of them who lost her doctor medical uh, license because she stood up and said she doesn't go along with the with with this lie. but there are many of them. And many more them. and more, as you also said, Julian, they're coming gradually, they're coming out as the awakening uh, of the people uh, takes uh, takes hold, hopefully yeah. faster and faster. So that we we have still time to change something, change the system, but this is exactly how it works. You know, they have a reputation, they have become famous, they have families. We don't want to lose our jobs, and 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 less so uh, do we want to uh, uh, to lose our license to to find another job. Okay. And some of them have actually been disappeared or suicided, and this is the threatening part that uh, may happen. Either they I, I, or I yeah the families.
0: Yeah, we've only got maybe a a couple of minutes left. I mean, do you want to just just end this conversation with, I mean, some last words about how, you know, maybe we can uh, wake people up or or whatever, you know, in in, in defiance of of the elite agenda that uh, Peter was just talking about? What, uh, Julian, you first?
3: Yes, I would like to just very quickly say, based on the previous conversation about Davos, one of the other key items is IT. And, you know, we must realize that this whole agenda is heading towards the transhuman. This is when we lose our humanity. We're replaced by cyborgs. We're connected up with computers. And this is what, for instance, Klaus Schwab's uh, chief executive, uh, Noel Harari, is telling people. Basically, he's saying that's progress. And that's where we all want to be. Basically, what we have to do is very clear to me, at least. We have to double, treble the amount of attention we're paying to the reality that we're living in, the shrinking reality of moral values and pride of being a human being. We have to wake something up in us as human beings, which we all share. We all share. It's at a subconscious level. We all want the same thing. We all want to be close to the divine. We all want to experience love, joy, happiness and pain. Of course, it's all part of it, too. But we are losing the ability to be able to control our destinies. Therefore, it's an emergency for humanity now.
0: Okay. They
3: must rise up and be go face to face with the reality of what's being done. And then it's a numbers game up to a point. They are threatened. The status quo is threatened by large numbers. Okay, Better Peter, Peter Koenig,
0: you've got one minute. <laughs>
2: Well, I don't have much to add to what uh, Julian said. I totally agree. We have to uh, become conscious of our own sovereignty that we are losing every day, and especially in the West we have been, and this is not by accident, there is an institution behind it which is called Tavistock Institute. They are trained in social engineering in uh, mind manipulation they are based in the UK and it's uh, they have developed also since the 40s an enormous science they have been clearly at the world economic forum to to know what they have to do in order to keep uh, people suppressed and oppressed and and following following the trend we have to be become more and more aware that our sovereignty our happiness and and our ethics we must survive on them and uh, and 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 get rid of anything that we can, that is uh, digitization and uh, artificial in- intelligence. This is going to be, the, I keep saying that very often to people, this is going to be the demise of of humanity if we uh, keep uh, allowing uh, artificial intelligence to take over.
0: Okay, well, Peter Kurdig and uh, Julian Rose, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you both, and uh, thank you for being on our show, and... Uh... Uh, maybe you can continue the conversation privately at a later date, maybe putting another book together or something like that. Thank you for joining me.
1: soon I Okay. Peter Thank Koenig is a geo-
0: geopolitical analyst and a former senior economist at the World Bank. Julian Rose is a UK organic farmer, author, and environmental activist. Peter, join me from Peru. And uh, uh, Mr. Rose, join me from the UK. We have an alternate uh, take on criticizing the role of the World Economic Forum. This comes from someone who agrees with the science consensus that more than 99% of all peer reviewed scientific literature figures that human factors are to blame for current climate change. Yet she believes that the WEF, in their decision making on climate change, is based more on political decisions. Uh, Marking then on science. And she's published an article at globalresearch.ca entitled, The World Economic Forum, How It Usurps Treaty-Based Intergovernmental Institutions. This is based on an article uh, written in the journal, the American Journal of Economics and Sociology. My guest's name is Elizabeth Woodworth. She's co-author of Unprecedented Climate Mobilization, Unprecedented Crime, Climate Science Denial and Game Changers for Survival, and co-producer of the COP21 video, A Climate Revolution for All. She also served as the head medical librarian for the B.C. government and holds a B.A. from Queens and a library sciences degree from UBC. Elizabeth Woodworth, welcome back to the Global Research News Hour.
1: Thank you very much, Michael. Good to be here. You pointed
0: to the view that at the World Economic Forum, politics has more to do with solving world economic world problems than science. And you pointed to the example uh, of the WEF response to the COVID-19 situation as an example. Uh, could you just expand on what was off about what they suggested at the time? Well,
1: the, the whole um, pandemic rationale was never really explained scientifically uh, by any of the um, global agencies that were dealing with it. Um, It was just a fear campaign, basically. And the history of that fear campaign was uh, done through the media. And I did an article for Global Research a couple of years ago on the Trusted News Initiative, uh, which has gone quite viral because it traced the way the media planned its campaign to make COVID look uh, like a really bad uh virus uh that was going to wipe out people to the extent that they'd been wiped out in nineteen nineteen in the major pandemic. But it doesn't the the um uh pa- this pandemic so called didn't even match the traditional uh definition of a pandemic. So the World Economic Forum was part of the um the whole um uh, campaign to make us afraid but it wasn't based on science. So the, uh, the actual science of climate change uh, is very well established, as you mentioned, with 99% of uh, peer-reviewed science journals um, knowing this. It goes all the way back to the 70s, uh, and all the projections that were made in the, in the last century have come true about, about climate change based on their scientific um, information at the time okay so we, yeah.
0: well you have three participants the, 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 you've got the public, you've got the state, and you have the WEF. Uh, could you give a, a couple of practical examples of how the WEF in fact complicates government responses to, to public pressure on climate change
1: The point I would like to make uh, is that they are not looking at solutions to the climate problem at all, Mm. Uh, which I think the public would appreciate if somebody came up with some real solutions. And so would certain governments, you you know. uh, They're coming, like in 2022, uh, in the article, what they were looking at was vague topics like unlock. Here's a a few of them. Uh, These are the topics that these hundreds of jets flew into Davos to talk about unlocking carbon markets uh, embracing climate adaptation action um, climate action starts at home um, you know these are vague topics mm. but what I think is the most important thing is that right now globally the governments of our world are are they um, they're, they're uh, subsidizing fossil fuel companies to the extent of six trillion dollars a year that's globally that's the imf figures mm-hmm. and those that amount like the, the the fossil fuel companies would not be uh they wouldn't even they're, they're called it's called a zombie industry it can't exist without public money so uh all our governments of the world would have to do would be to say to the fossil fuel companies we want you to transition to sustainable energy at the rate of seven to eight percent a year, just move your your operations from fossil fuels over to sustainable energies at the rate of seven to eight percent a year, or we won't subsidize you. And at the end of ten years, we'd be moved over, and the fossil fuel companies would still have the market. They would still be running the energy market, and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, a solution like that could work for the world within ten years it would be guaranteed but they don't talk about stuff like that because the fossil fuel companies are the corporate companies that fly into Davos to to make their um agenda known
3: mmm
0: well Yeah, just uh, maybe I guess I'll give you just a minute. I mean, I, I was wondering if, if the the WF could be reformed in some way so it didn't, you know, curtail democracy uh, by you know, just, you know, enhanced in some way for the benefit of all or, or just the, the very presence of, of corporations and then the private wealthy always guarantee it will negate in some way the, the democratic decision making to, to truly address climate change and other issues.
1: Well, the composition of the World Economic Forum is in the article. It's quite a uh, you know, it's rather a long part of it. Um, the, the the governments the governments of the world and the, the global uh, leaders the World Economic Forum young global leaders are all admitted free. They, they don't have to pay anything to, to, to go to the sessions. So the sessions are supported by, basically by the corporations. Now, how Who's going to reform that? It's a it's a, a, a private public partnership. It mm. it it's not elected. There's no law to stop it. It's just there. But what needs to be understood is that it is not operating uh, for the benefit of human society because it isn't elected.
0: Thank you Elizabeth for adding a few thoughts to our discussion.
1: You're welcome. Michael, I'm glad to give you some ideas, but I'd like to underline the idea that uh, really isn't out there. I think your listeners might be the first to, to know of it that uh, we could stop the subsidies or make them conditional on the $6 trillion per year. That's what keep fossil fuels going, is that $6 trillion in subsidies should be conditional on
0: a transition. Thank you. Elizabeth Woodworth is a writer and and former librarian to the BC government of Canada. That is our show for this week. Next week, coinciding with the beginning of the Freedom Convoy of Truckers from two years ago and the recent finding in the federal court that Trudeau did indeed violate the constitutional rights of the people who participated in the occupation-style protests in Ottawa, we will revisit that issue. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once
1: again for joining us.